Thanks for listening to another episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. When you're looking for a job, there are endless lists of do's and don'ts, books to read, timelines to follow, and it can be hard to know where to start. In today's episode, I sit down with a seasoned recruiter to talk about five basic steps you can take to set yourself up for success early in your job search to make sure you ultimately land a career that's a great fit for you. My guest today is Chris Dove, a former Navy nuclear engineer and current recruiter at Orion. Chris discusses his military background, his experience working as a recruiter, and his top five strategies for landing your dream job. During the discussion, we'll talk about the importance of learning yourself and crafting your story, how to beat the resume robots, and current job market trends. If you have any questions about this episode or ideas for a future topic, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hi, Megan. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to have you back. It's been a while, but I feel like for a long time you were a very frequent podcast guest. Yeah, when I first started here, I definitely was on it, I think, a couple times in my first six months. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably been about at least a year since I've done one. Yeah. And obviously, you've been super, super busy. Lots of people are in the job market now. And so, That's part of what we'll talk about today. But again, I'm excited to have you back. If anyone's just hearing you for the first time or they haven't worked with you as a recruiter, can you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself, your education, military career, and what you do here at Orion? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a Navy nuclear electrician's mate, submarines. Um, I actually got my first post-military career um, at an Orion Talent Hiring Conference back in 2015. Uh, So I was transitioning off of active duty um i met one of the orion recruiters on base at naval station norfolk and they actually ended up hooking me up with a plane ticket to columbus ohio to a hiring conference um went there did eight different interviews in in one day and came out of there with three job offers um ended up going to work for one of our clients um called beckman coulter And I did that uh, biomedical field service for about four years. Um, I was looking for a change and I came back to Orion, you know, again, because I had such success with them in the past. So um, sometime during that job search, I decided I would take my chance at being a recruiter. Um, I was doing recruiting for maybe like three to six months before I came to Orion. Um, Orion gave me a shot and then I've been here for almost three years now. So about like two years and nine months or so. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm a technical recruiter here at Orion. Uh, I've been doing it, you know, for almost three years and, you know, pretty much, uh, on a day-to-day basis, you know, my job is to, uh, help as many veterans transition from active duty as I can. That's awesome. And you have such a cool background because, you know, you have this technical background and that's what you did in the military and in your first post-military career. And it's cool that you were open-minded enough to think that maybe you want to try something different and it is different, but it still plays off of the knowledge that you have and all the experience that you had in your previous roles too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, one thing that we do great here is we hire, you know, people with the technical background and, and train them more on the recruiting side. Uh, rather than hire a recruiter without a technical background, because yeah, it definitely helps uh, when you're, you know, pre-screening candidates or talking to candidates to, you know, kind of talk intelligently with them and, you know, kind of understand the the acronyms that they're using or the the terminology they're using. So, yeah, I think it, it it's definitely been a huge advantage for me, and um, I I think it pretty much fits in perfectly with what we do here. 
um, you know, most veterans are, are more comfortable talking to other people. And like, you know, especially when I talk to other Navy nukes or other submariners, like, you know, they, they know that I'm one of them and, you know, I've kind of done the same thing that they've done. So I usually, uh, you know, keep it pretty straight to the point with them and, you know, just kind of, uh, tell them about my situation and, and, you know, what I went through during the transition, things I would have done differently. And, uh, so far everything, you know, I, I feel like I'm really helping them on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you're going to do more of that here on this podcast. So for today's topic, I was thinking, you know, we've had so many episodes of this podcast that have been dedicated to specific steps in the interview process. And, you know, there's endless books and resources and everything from common interview questions, resume advice, and, you know, the list just goes on. So when you're looking to get a job, sometimes the best thing to do is just to keep it simple. So I thought today we could look at some very simple top five strategies for landing your dream job. And I thought that I could kind of talk through this list and get your input on each of these and see if you have anything that you want to add or say differently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to talk about a couple of these because, I mean, there are a lot of, of bad misconceptions out there. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'm excited too. Okay, so number one is to learn about yourself and what you want. I know this is a huge one because the first step that we always tell people when they're getting out of the military is to research themselves and, um, you know, think about what it is that's going to make you happy, what makes you tick. So what do you want to add on this one? So honestly, I think that's one of the the biggest struggles for uh, a transitioning veteran, especially because, you know, we do have the GI Bill. So theoretically, you know, we could go back to school for for pretty much anything that we wanted. So you kind of reach this crossroads where, you know, well, I even reached it, you know, as a, as a Navy nuclear electrician's mate, you know, when I was getting out, you know, I qualified for, you know, technical roles, uh, such as my, you know, biomed position. And, you know, I had never even dreamed of being in the biomedical field. And, you know, honestly, when I was transitioning, I didn't really see how it correlated, you know, working on industrial electric equipment, you know, 40 volt, three phase, how does that you know, really translate over to being a biomedical field service technician or, um, you know, fixing that that kind of instruments. But basically what what a lot of our clients do and what a lot of civilian employers do that, that people don't realize is they're taking that foundational technical knowledge, you know, whether it's electrical, mechanical, electronics or, or some mix of the three. And they're just taking that like starting baseline and then they're going to train you on their products, uh, you know, train you on their equipment, you know, train you on their processes and everything. So, you know, I went to three weeks of training in California to learn, you know, more about biomed, you know, just like the safety and, you know, the health precautions, HIPAA, stuff like that. But also, you know, got trained on a specific product line where, you know, I was using a multimeter still just like I did in the Navy. And, you know, I was troubleshooting and repairing, you know, electrical and electronic devices. Um, but I, I think for a lot of veterans, you know, it's hard to see, you know, how your your skills translate. If I was an avionics technician and all I've ever worked on is the, you know, the F-18 and, you know, that's all I've done for the last six years. Like, I don't understand, you know, uh, most people think that they have to find another job in aviation or or go work for a defense contractor. But it's really not the case. Um, and even really in my three years here at Orion, I've seen, you know, a huge change in the tides where, you know, a lot of clients are are looking at military technicians because there's just not enough other skilled tradespeople out there. You know, there's a big push for college there for 30 years where, you know, it was kind of frowned upon. You know, if you went to trade school, you were kind of less than. 
So now our clients, like a lot of them have really good training programs, apprenticeships, um, things like that to, you know, really take a, a military veteran that has that baseline training and, you know, uh, work ethic and just train them to do, you know, an array of jobs. Like just, you know, in my short time here, they've they've really changed their tune where, you know, it used to be, oh, well, we want somebody with industry experience or, you know, even some of our clients had the issue where, well, this person's worked on a plane their whole life. You know, how does how does that translate to working in a manufacturing environment or something? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, once we work with them for for a little bit and, you know, they usually if they hire one good veteran, you know, they, they're coming back to us for hire number two, three, four, five on, you know, up to hundreds of hires with some of our clients. So um, it's definitely pretty cool, but I can definitely see the the struggle, you know, when you're getting out of the military, do you know, for at least four years, you know, for the minimum contract, if not more, the military tells you what your job is, you know, tells you what you're supposed to do, like, you know, all the way down to the uniform of the day. So, you know, you know what to wear, you know where to be, you know your job. And when you're getting out, it's kind of like, you know, do I continue doing what the military told me I was going to do? Or do I use my GI Bill to go back to school for something? Or, you know, do I go a completely different route? So Mm -hmm. that is definitely like probably the most important thing is, you know, just assess and like pretty much how I tell people is is don't look at, you know, what you're going to do in your first year out of the military or second year out of the military. Look like five to 10 years down the road where you see yourself and then I can kind of help you work backwards. Like if your dream is, you know, to be in management somewhere or to be a project manager or something like that, like, you know, look at your like five year, 10 year projection and then, you know, I can help you work back from there on on what steps you need to take in order to get there. But yeah, I talk to people all the time who are, you know, just kind of they, they don't know their direction they want to go. They don't not necessarily set on a location because that's another thing the military tells us, you know, is where we're going to be stationed. So, you know, you don't really have a lot of say in, in where you go or what you do um, with the military. And now that you're you know transitioning out, you, you have all the freedom in the world. You have this GI Bill, you know, so it's definitely uh, very important, you know, to do a self-assessment and, you know, see see where you really truly want to go in life or if you just want to stick to your current path. I love that advice you gave. I think it's such excellent advice as a recruiter to tell people to look five years in the future. It's funny because sometimes you think big picture stuff is a little bit harder, but I do think that if you really are at a place where you don't necessarily know what you want to do, looking into the future five years and seeing what is your big picture, I guess you could say your goal, it helps you with the path to get there. And sometimes that is easier than just thinking about what do I want to do in the first year? Because as you kind of mentioned, a lot of times when you first start a job, whether it's you know very similar to what you did in the military or if it's completely different, inevitably there's going to be a lot of training because every company does things differently. They use different equipment, tools, communication. There's going to be a lot of training regardless of what you decide to do. And so it's sort of hard to look at it from the short term and a little bit easier from the long term. So I like that advice. Okay, so number two, see the job requ- see the job requirements as guidelines, not set in stone. And I think this one is probably a little bit challenging because I know a lot of job seekers, especially if they're coming out of the military, you can be a little bit intimidated when you see these requirements because you see um, all these things that would be you would have gained if you were not in the military. So experience working on A, B, and C or in this type of environment, a manufacturing environment, you know, what have you. And so I don't know if this one is particular to military candidates, if this one, you know, makes a bigger difference. But what advice would you have for candidates who 
are looking at, you know, a job description online, they see the bulleted list of requirements and are feeling like they might not qualify. So, I mean, this is a huge issue and it's even a huge issue for me sometimes where, you know, I might send the the perfect job to the perfect candidate, but like you said, a lot of job descriptions out there, you know, they might list 70 different requirements on it that, you know, really no one human is expected to have. Um, so having those conversations, you know, before we open up a requisition with the the hiring manager and really getting to talk to them and, and know, okay, well, here's the job description, but what in here, you know, is actually a hard requirement. And obviously when you're applying online, you know, you don't get that option of asking what a hard requirement is. So I always tell people, um, you know, don't be that person that's just going around applying to any job, right? Because with LinkedIn, easy apply, Indeed, easy apply, like, you know, with a couple clicks of the button, you could potentially, you know, apply for a position. But if you if you think that you can do the job after reading the description, if you truly believe you can do the job and you meet even 50% of the requirements, you should go ahead and apply. Because, you know, these job these job descriptions, you know, they list all this stuff that would be nice to have, but, you know, you're, you're not really sure what is, you know, absolutely required to have. You're not sure, you know, where they're at in the hiring process. Obviously, if the position's only been open for a month, they might be a little bit more strict than if the position's been open for six months or 12 months, you know, and they're they're, they're getting a little bit more desperate and, you know, a little bit more willing to train. Um, so I always say if you're if you meet 50 percent of the requirements and you think you can do the job, go ahead and apply. And then I know that we're going to talk about, you know, how to apply uh, later on in the podcast. So, I mean, I think that's where it becomes most important is really in your application you know, you want to make sure that your your resume is at least meeting, you know, 70% of the keywords from the job description. You know, you want to make sure that you tailor your resume to the position. But yeah, I mean, my advice is if you think that you can do the job, um, you know, with just the most basic amount of training, then absolutely apply. And, you know, just know, because like a lot of our positions will list like programmable logic controllers as as one of the job requirements. And very few people coming out of the military, you know, actually work with programmable logic controllers. It's definitely getting more now that the, you know, the newer ships are are out and they do have these things. But like for me, my my submarine was built, you know, before I was even born. I'm dealing with technology that's, you know, 20 or 30 years old. A lot of it's analog and, you know, we live in a digital world now. Um, so just because you don't have some skill, like, you know, if I say programmable logic controller to you, it sounds like you know, some high tech, you know, super taboo thing that you would have to, you know, uh, go to class for six months for to understand. But realistically, with your baseline technical knowledge and, you know, a couple weeks of self-study, you can get up to speed on on things that are in that job requirement before the interview. And, and really, you know, if you can intelligently talk about it and work through it and, you know, um, kind of express to them that you're, you know, you at least did some self-study and that you're trainable, then a lot of times, you know, if you have the right personality to go with it and, you know, they think you're you're the right person for the job as far as character, then, you know, most of the times employers will give you, you know, a fair chance to come in and, and learn, you know, whatever's missing from your resume. Mm-hmm. Well, this leads me to number three on the list that I think really segues from what we're talking about is, you know, if you don't have all of those hard requirements, but you know, like you said, you have 50, 70 percent, just go ahead and imply. Well, another thing that you can do um, is just go ahead and craft your story. Tell them what sets you apart, why you're the right person for the job. Fill in some of those gaps for them. So 
Number three, craft your story. Can you give us a little bit more background information on that, whether it's what to put in your resume, what to say in an interview, whichever direction you want to take it? So my my true honest advice is if you're applying for a job with the, the way technology is today, you know, you know what company it is, you know what location it's in. I would get on social media, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, and I would I would try to network with with the people at the company. Um, that way you do get a chance to craft your story, because unfortunately, you know, in 2021, when you apply for a job, you know, most employers are using some sort of artificial intelligence or, or some sort of resume filter where, you know, if if you submit a resume that's not meeting a certain number of the keywords, you know, in the posting, then no one's ever actually going to view your resume. and You're never going to have a chance to tell your story. So definitely, you know, that that ties in directly with, you know, number four, beating the resume robots. Um, you got to beat the robots in order to be able to tell your story. Um, but I mean, I think the the story really comes into play in that initial interview. You know, when they when they give you that tell me about yourself um, question, you know, that's not to tell you, oh, well, when I was in fifth grade, you know, I fell off the the swing set and I, I hurt myself. You know, you're, you're telling them things that are relative to the job that show how you're going, you know, how well you're going to do in it. So, you know, having that that good two to the three minute, you know, elevator pitch on who you are, what you bring to the table and how that directly relates to the job, you can win an interview right there with your with your opening statement. And I think that's where it's really important to to craft your story. When you work with candidates, do you advise them to come up with um, like an elevator pitch as part of their story that they can use in an interview? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's actually the most important thing that you can do to prepare for an interview is to just pretend you're a Hollywood actor, you know, write down your elevator pitch, practice it in the mirror and kind of, you know, the the tagline I always use is I promise you that the, you know, the second time you answer this question, the 15th time you answer this question, the 30th time you answer this question, it's going to be a better answer than if you go into an interview and it's the first time you're answering the question. Right. Mm -hmm. And you you have the job description. You can do a little research on the company, on the manager and like really craft your story, you know, pointedly towards that to really show them like, hey, you know, I know that I'm coming from a military background. I worked on, you know, this piece of equipment, this piece of equipment. And this is how it relates to the position that you have open. And this is why I'm going to be successful. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you already alluded to the resume robots. So that is number four on the list is beating the resume robots. And it is one of the benefits of working with Orion, obviously, is that if you know candidates are working directly with you or another recruiter, um, you're automatically basically by stepping those anyway, because you're basically handing the resume to the account executive who's working with the client. So you're eliminating the artificial intel artificial intelligence and everybody loves AI these days. All the clients love that. And it's something that helps make their job easier. It definitely has a time and place, but it does make it a lot harder for job seekers. So do you have any tips or anything else that you want to say about, you know, kind of how you can get around these robots if you are applying to jobs on your own? So definitely tailor your resume towards the job description and underneath the job requirements section, you're going to want, you know, without lying, obviously, but, you know, you're going to want to kind of express explicitly in your resume any experience that you have that could could correlate to those requirements. And then, you know, using the keywords from the job description, 
you know, you might call, you know, something different than what they're calling it um, as far as like terminology. So you want to make sure, you know, you get the terminology as close as you can to the job description, you know, and really tailor that resume and that that should help you. And they also have websites out there where you can, you know, upload the, the job description, upload your resume, and it'll actually tell you, you know, what percent match you're at. So there's there's quite a few of them out there. Um, all you got to do is Google it. Um, but, you know, if you're able to check to see what the percent match is before you even apply, then, you know, you can get those warm and fuzzy feelings that, you know, you're at least going to get a rejection email or a callback or something. Um, because that is really the the number one reason I came back to Orion for my job search um, is because I, I, you know, I started the job search on my own. I'm applying online. I'm applying online. And, you know, 200 applications later, I think I got like one callback and two emails out of all of that effort. Um, whereas here with Orion, you know, you, exactly like you said, I'm, I'm taking your resume. I'm giving it directly to an account executive who's giving it directly to a hiring manager. Um, and along with that resume comes me telling your story, right? So we, we have a conversation, you know, somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes where we're, we're talking about the job, why you're interested in it, kind of your background. And I'm taking that and I'm, I'm writing an executive summary along with your resume. And I'm basically telling, you know, one of our clients why I think you're good for the job. You know, they have, you know, all of this experience, you know, they're originally from the area, they're, you know, looking for this. Um, and, you know, as long as that lines up with what the client's looking for, you know, we have a much higher rate of success uh, for sure than those online applications. Mm -hmm. Well, the unfortunate thing for job seekers is that, it, it, I mean, in 2021 and beyond, it's just going to continue to be this way. Any sort of mid-sized to large organization is going to be using some of these, um, you know, resume screening AI tactics. So if it's something that that's going to continue to happen, then yeah, you may as well get used to the fact that you'll have to tailor your resume every now and then, especially if it's a position that you're really interested in. Obviously, nobody has time to do it for every position they apply to. I think you referenced earlier how you can easily apply via LinkedIn a lot of times. And I know several other sites have like a quick apply process, but um, I, I don't know if you can speak to the efficacy of that. I don't know if you ever hear of many people getting calls back from those quick applies because I assume it's a lot more legwork on the recruiter or the hiring manager, whoever's posted the job. Yeah. So the, and that's kind of what I was saying, like earlier, don't apply to jobs that you know you're not qualified for, or you meet, you know, one out of 20 requirements for, because that's, that's exactly the downside of that is that you're just wasting somebody else's time and that's getting in the way of other candidates. And that's why people have to use these AI filters is because, you know, you have people from other countries that will apply knowing that they're, you know, they don't have visas or sponsorship. You get people who are just completely unqualified, don't meet a single one of the requirements. Like, you know, even even for me, sometimes, you know, when when it says like, you know, will train the right person, you know, when, when they say that, they usually mean will train somebody, you know, with that meets most of the requirements or, or has the technical background or, you know, has some sort of relatable experience. But then a lot of people interpret that as they'll just train anyone. So like you might have, you know, a cook from the Navy that's applying to be a maintenance manager or something like that. And, you know, all that's doing is just clogging up that recruiter's pipeline. Hopefully they're being filtered out by the artificial intelligence. But it would be nice for a recruiter not to have to use artificial intelligence at all because, you know, they're pretty much getting, you know, even 50% viable applicants would be great. But 
I mean, that's exactly the problem. So many people are just clicking LinkedIn Easy Apply over and over again. And, you know, you're filling up these pipelines with completely unviable candidates. And then at that point, you know, that's when they use the AI because they don't have enough time to, to you know, go over 150 resumes for one opening when they can use that filter. But then the other side of the coin is that that filter is probably filtering out a lot of qualified candidates or, or candidates that really could do the job that just aren't very good at, at job hunting. Because that's something that I learned uh, in the six months I before I came to Orion, you know, via LinkedIn, really, mostly, um, you know, I learned so much more about the job market and, you know, applying online and, you know, networking and all this stuff that, you know, if I would have known all that in my first job search, you know, I'm, I might have been able to do it on my own. But I most definitely didn't realize that, you know, going to get another job is basically a full time job in itself. And you definitely need to know how to navigate the civilian job market in order to be successful because, you know, only 10% of jobs in 2021 are filled via one of those online applications. You know, 80 to 90% of jobs are going to be filled from an internal referral, uh, a friend of a friend, um, you know, an internal promotion and the job is just posted, you know, for, for legal sake. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, they don't take the time to even send you a rejection email. So you're spending your time sending off this application, uploading your resume, and you literally don't get any word back ever. Mm -hmm. Well, and even if you're even if you're only spending, let's say, 30 seconds, you know, it's 30 seconds that could probably be better spent somewhere else. So if you know that you're not qualified and it's not even something that you're very serious about, just probably skip it and move on to the right. Next so that, that's why I would maybe contradict you. Um, I would say if you're going to take the time to apply for a position and you're, you know, uh, interested in it enough to apply, then you should definitely be able to take the time to tailor your resume. Otherwise, you are just completely wasting your time. Yeah. If you don't tailor sure. that resume, get past the artificial intelligence, you know, actually have a human view your resume, then you might as well have just never applied. And that that was honestly my fault. I thought for sure. Oh, somebody's going to open up this resume. You know, they're going to know what my Navy nuclear electrician background brings to the table. You know, they're definitely going to call me. But I most definitely wasn't tailoring every resume. I had one master resume I was applying to all these jobs mm -hmm. for. And, you know, now that I'm actually been recruiting, I could definitely see where, you know, if I wasn't in the military or I had no, you know, Navy electrical background, and I'm looking at my resume, I would be like, uh, it sounds like he did a lot, but I don't really know what he did because I don't understand any of this. So, yeah. I mean, I was definitely guilty of that um, in the beginning. I totally agree with that. I was going based on the um, Navy cook who wants to be a maintenance manager quickly applying on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but yes, I totally agree with what you just said. Okay, so the last one on the list is network, network, network. And you mentioned networking earlier in terms of just being able to get that foot in the door to even tell your story and, you know, kind of make yourself known and what your goals and objectives are. So what would you say is the importance of networking? And I would even extend that to ask if you think it's been different over the past year. Um, I think it's it's the most important thing you can do. Um, networking and your elevator pitch and knowing how to get past the, the artificial intelligence filters. So proper networking will make it so that you never have to deal with those artificial intelligence, right? So if I have a, a friend of a friend or, or you know an old colleague or something that can get my resume in front of the right person, 
or even, you know, put their stamp of approval on it that forces, you know, an internal recruiter to look at it, then your chances are already, you know, a hundred times greater of landing that job. Um, because somebody's actually viewing your resume, you know, there's somebody else that's, you know, put their stamp of approval on you. And, you know, typically it's going to result in at least an initial interview. And as long as you can get that initial interview, then, you know, the ball is kind of in your court to land the position. But if you're just applying and, you know, waiting and waiting and you never even get the interview, then you can't possibly get the job. And ironically, um, I had applied to be a recruiter at Orion about six months before. And at the time, we had a hard requirement for a bachelor's degree. I didn't have a bachelor's degree. Um, so, you know, I wasn't even looked at or considered to be a recruiter. Um, but then through LinkedIn and networking with, you know, a lot of people here at Orion and, you know, talking to my other friends who were job seeking and referring them over to Orion, you know, eventually that led to conversations about, you know, me becoming a recruiter. And that's really how I got my foot in the door was was through networking. So, um, you know, at the time I had talked to the Southeast Regional Manager a bunch um, and then he actually was going to interview me. I didn't know if I wanted to be a recruiter or not. And then he ended up hiring someone else. Um, but he referred me over to the Northeast manager. And, you know, after I hit it off with with him, you know, I ended up, you know, accepting a position here. But if I wouldn't have been on LinkedIn constantly and I wouldn't have been networking and I would have just applied online, probably no one was going to call me back because I was just, you know, another applicant in the system that didn't meet the minimum requirements. Mm -hmm. Well, and then back to the question I asked about if you think it's changed at all in the past year, it sounds like especially based on your scenario that, I mean, networking can be done very effectively online. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's really changed that much in the last year. Um, I know the pandemic has definitely changed a lot of, you know, the in-person networking, but I think, you know, before the pandemic, we were already kind of like a digital society, you know, with all the social mm -hmm. media and, you know, LinkedIn really taking off. Uh, so yeah, it's changed a little that you can't go to like, you know, uh, in-person networking event. But I would say that was maybe 5% of the networking that was going on, and a lot of it was online. And, like, don't think that networking is just actively networking because everything you post online, you know, there's always people lurking and looking at it. And, you know, if they like your content, they like your personality, they like what you're putting out, that might prompt them to reach out to you. And I've had that happen before in the past based on, you know, my LinkedIn presence. Uh, where people even, you know, we've gotten a lot of clients that way where they're like, hey, you know, I, I like your your service to veterans. I like your attitude. You know, I, I see you helping people all the time. We're looking for, you know, uh, to hire, you know, these positions. Is there any way that you can help us? And, you know, that really opens the door for you, you know, passively. Like, you know, I've, I could probably count like a dozen times where that's happened where we've landed a new client or, you know, especially probably hundreds of candidates from, hey, I saw your post, you know, saying this, or hey, I saw that you do this. And, you know, so I wasn't actively networking with those people or, or trying to gain their their business. Um, but, you know, based on, you know, their their version of me that they see from my online presence, you know, they they wanted to work with me. And that's, that's definitely something to keep in mind. You know, anytime you're on social media, you know, there's always someone watching. It's, you know, it's always on the internet forever. And, you know, things that you say or do can either help you or, or hurt you in the long run. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip. I was going to ask you because I think at this point, hopefully everyone knows about, you know, being mindful of their social media presence. I'm sure you still see some things here and there as a recruiter, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You would, and like, it's funny because a lot of people think they're protected if they only share it with friends. But then typically as a recruiter, 
um, especially, you know, in the small veteran and military community, I probably have a mutual contact. I might add you as a friend, you know, once we start talking. Um, And then, yeah, I've definitely in my three years here have seen quite a few people who raised enough red flags for me that, um, you know, really made me think about, you know, helping them or or whatever. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that everyone should know. And I think everyone, you know, at, you know, some level knows that they, you know, that their online presence is going to matter. But people still get careless with it. um, Absolutely. So just to kind of wrap things up here, do you think that is is there anything that you would want to leave us with that people should know about the current job market or any trends or challenges that you're seeing? Is it still a candidate's market? Is there anything that you want to say about that? Oh, it's one. It's most definitely a candidate's market on the the skilled trades, engineering, technical side. Um, You know, there's not enough uh, skilled talent really to go around. So something that I'm definitely seeing on like uh, the technician side is is increased pay. I would say from two years ago, every single position is is paying higher, whether it's electrical, mechanical, electronic, or some mixture of the three. I think all of the pay has gone up. Um, it's most definitely a candidate's market. You know, the candidates have a lot of negotiating power, um, and it's definitely tough in this market to be a recruiter because you know I have candidates that are in the middle of an interview process that might only take you know two weeks, you know, from start to finish. And within those two weeks, they're getting, you know, two, three, four offers from other companies just in that small time frame, because everyone is actively, you know, seeking this talent. Now, there's not a lot of, you know, companies out there that are succeeding by just posting something online and, and passively waiting for candidates. Like, you know, the value of a good uh, recruiter right now is astronomical because you got to go out and actively get these people actively, you know, talk to them and, and lure them away from their current employer or, you know, get lucky and find them right when they come on the market. Because um, I would say it's probably the best candidate market that I've ever seen. Um, and it definitely, you know, makes it tough for the employer and the recruiter, you know, to find the right person at the right time and, you know, get them into a position um, just because it's so competitive out there. Mm-hmm. But that's good news for everyone listening. <laughs> yeah, it's good news for everyone that's job seeking. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's 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 important as a recruiter to really, you know, be able to gauge, you know, is this person actively seeking? Are they passively seeking? You know, they're just trying to see what's out there um, and, you know, kind of prioritizing that um, because like no joke i've seen people within two weeks get five different job offers from five different employers for five different positions and you know it's it makes it great to be a candidate right because instead of you know oh i got my one job offer i need to take it you know um you know they definitely have a choice in the matter and you know you're seeing a lot of employers change up their their attitudes towards prerequisites like degrees like a lot of people are like hey if you can do this job like you know we'll waive that degree requirement or years of experience requirements and stuff like that so um and then you know obviously the pay is going up people are offering you know unlimited pto or you know signing bonuses or you know really whatever they can Mm -hmm. in order to attract the, the right candidates and I think within the next, you know, two years, we're going to see a, a huge market correction where, you know, the the employers who realize, you know, it's 2021, people expect more from their employer, they expect more freedom, more work-life balance, you know, more money, um, you know, due to a lot of different factors. 
um, those employers that are, are realizing that and they're, you know, offering bigger packages or, or you know, things that, that people like, the little intrinsic things like an extra week of vacation or for a higher 401k match or, or whatever the case may be, the, those employers that are really attracting the right talent are going to, you know, create a gap between the employers who are still stuck in 2015 and they want to pay what they paid in 2015, you know, all these requirements are hard requirements and, you know, not willing to train, not willing to start apprenticeships, things like that. Like I've seen so many of our clients, you know, start training programs or apprenticeship programs because they can see the future. And, you know, there's a lot of good, smart, hardworking people out there that can be trained to do these jobs, you know, rather than, you know, looking for that needle in the haystack that, you know, already has the industry experience, won't require any training, but you have to pay a way higher premium for. So I, I think over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months, it's going to be really interesting to, to see who the winners and losers are in this market. Well, just to piggyback off of that, I, I'm wondering as you're talking about the clients and how creative they're getting with, you know, ways to attract candidates in this market. Do you think that from the candidate's perspective, you know, in the past, we've always talked historically about, you know, don't ghost employers, don't burn bridges. I mean, is there any you mentioned candidates that, you know, might get five offers in two weeks and, you know, how there's a lot of competition right now. Is there anything that they should still be mindful of in terms of, you know, maintaining professionalism and, you know, try not to burn any bridges? Or do you think that's sort of a thing of the past? Oh, you, I, I mean, my advice is if you burn too many bridges, you're going to find yourself on an island alone. And I mean, you don't know where your, your manager right now that you're, you're quitting without notice that manager could transfer to your company or a future company that you apply to, especially if you guys are in the same local area. Um, and then, you know, burning that bridge gives you literally no advantage. Yeah, is there a small chance that it's going to give you a disadvantage and affect you in the future? Yeah, the chance is a little bit small, but why, why even burn it? And, you know, typically, like, people get this, like, sense of uh, fear and anxiety on on turning down a job offer you know they'd rather just ghost you than than tell you that they're going to turn down a job offer but what they don't realize is that's really a misconception because you know most employers have been employing people for long enough that they know they're not going to get every candidate they offer most recruiters have been you know dealing with this market or recruiting long enough that they know every candidate's not going to accept the offer and pretty much like all people are looking for in 2021 is just like a common human decency to where all you got to do is text and say hey found another job offer that's better for me and my family or for me and my situation. Uh, thank you for your time and effort, you know, take care. And like that four seconds to type out a text message or, or whatever, you know, can, can save you from burning that bridge. But mm -hmm. the market is so good for candidates that, you know, they, they might burn those bridges. And I literally had a guy um, quit without notice, didn't tell me that he was going to quit, quit within his first, you know, a uh, few months on the job and randomly moved to another state and then he came back to me like a couple weeks later and, and asked for my help again <laughs> and it's like you know it puts me into a place where you know you burned me once you burned my client once do i want to help you but then at the same time like you know i got on this job to help people and especially you know help military and veterans so you know do i still work with that person or you know do i give them a second chance you know so my philosophy on that is, you know, definitely don't burn the bridges. You know, a little bit of professional communication goes a long way. 
mm-hmm. pretty much all people are looking for, you know, the thank you emails after every interview are pretty much dead. But if you're the one candidate that's sending the thank you email after the interview, then, you know, you're crushing it already. Um, and then, you know, just politely and professionally decline offers. And that's what I tell all my candidates. Like, it is not a big deal if this offer is not perfect for you. Another misconception is that you only take job interviews to accept a job offer. That is not my philosophy. You take job interviews to get a job offer. Nobody expects you to accept every job offer you get or to accept any job offer that, you know, that you're not comfortable with. But, you know, the whole point of interviewing is to see what they might offer you, because I've seen it time and again where where somebody interviews for, let's say, a twenty five dollar an hour tech role. And then they interview well enough that they're offered, you know, a seventy five thousand dollar salaried project manager role. Or I had another candidate who interviewed to be a field service technician and they said, hey, we love you so much. We'd like to actually make you the field service manager. And then two years later, he's like the director of the the eastern region of field service. And he's coming back to my hiring conference to hire technicians into the same role that he interviewed for two years ago. And it's like you don't ever know what you're going to get out of a, a, a job interview process. And that's why, you know, um, I always tell him, you know, the, the best thing to do is, you know, take the initial interviews go through the process, see what they offer you. If you don't love it, we politely and professionally decline and we move on to the next opportunity because the company doesn't want you to come there and work if that's not the job for you because they're going to spend time and money onboarding and training you and then you're going to leave or be unhappy anyway. So, you know, just all you have to do is shoot an email off or or a text off or, or one phone call and you can, you know, save all of those lines of communication for the future because, you never know when you might actually be out of a job and, you know, you can fall back on all those contacts that you made throughout interview processes and say, you know, hey, I know that this wasn't necessarily a fit for me in the past. You know, do you guys have any roles available now or, you know, things like that. And then people change jobs on average like every two and a half years. So that manager that interviewed you for, you know, a position that you didn't necessarily want might be the one interviewing you for a position that you really, really want in the future. And then do you think that he's going to remember the person who ghosted him? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And plus, it's just good advice, something good to keep in mind that regardless of the market, even if if you are as the candidate in control, it's still is good to still keep some of those basic I guess, um, job seeking etiquette where you at least try to be considerate of other people, whether it's a hiring manager or recruiter, whoever it is you're working with. Yeah, and that, like that's my saying, don't burn bridges or you'll find yourself on an island alone. I like that. <laughs> okay, well, Chris, is there anything else that you want to share? I think this has all been good information from, you know, the five strategies that we talked about and then everything that we've covered about. Well, today. honestly, the only the only thing I, I would do is maybe um, in the future we, we could go over this more quickly because I don't think people will sit through this for 30 minutes. But um, I, I think there's so much good info that we talked about here today that – I think just listening to us go over, you know, these five key points will make people a better job seeker. So I hope I hope a lot of people listen and, and they really take this to heart because, you know, we're seeing it, you know, in a in a real time scenario where the, the market is shifting. So for all the clients out there, you know, do what you need to do to retain your current talented employees and, and do what you need to do to attract new ones. You know, look at creative solutions to to your talent acquisition needs. Um, and for all the candidates out there, you know, this is the perfect market for you. Like there's never been more power given to a job seeker, I think, in the history of the United States, maybe. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, use that wisely and don't burn your bridges. Don't let it go to your head because, you know, we could wake up next week and the market flipped on its head and, you know, there's another pandemic coming or, or some crazy situation where, you know, now all that power is back to the employers or, or whatever. And you're going to need those contacts and, you know, all of that networking. And, you know, nobody likes somebody that ghosts them. So, you know, you might have only done it to that person, but then, you know, they talk about you to somebody else or to somebody else. And, you know, it really can hurt you down the road because, you know, it is a small world out there. Yeah, definitely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for doing this. And I will definitely have you back, like you said, to talk about some of these things in more detail. Absolutely, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.